It's time for this week's edition of the Virtual Bible Study. The Virtual Bible Study is a live, internet-only call-in program dedicated to the honest study and discussion of God's Word. Do you have a question about something in the Bible? Or are you simply interested in learning more about the Scriptures? If so, we hope you'll stay tuned tonight as we look into the pages of God's Word. The Virtual Bible Study is brought to you this time each week by the College View Church of Christ in Columbia, Tennessee. You can participate in the discussion tonight by calling 93 93- 3-1-381-4567 or by emailing your questions or comments from collegeview.com. We hope you'll take out your Bibles and study along with us as we begin an exciting study of God's Word on this edition of the Virtual Bible Study. Good evening and welcome to the Virtual Bible Study. Tonight is Thursday, March the 13th, 2008, and we welcome you to the Virtual Bible Study. Glad you're out there listening over the Internet. This is our regular Thursday night appointment where we get together to do a little group Bible study and discussion of important Bible matters, and we're glad that you're joining us tonight. My name is Greg Gwynn. I'm one of the regular hosts of the Virtual Bible Study. My son Jacob's not here tonight. We'll maybe explain that here in just a moment, but my another of my sons, Joel, is standing in to, to help the conduct the program tonight. Joel, welcome to the Virtual Bible Study. Thanks. Thanks. I'm uh, happy to be here and helping out tonight. We're a little sad this evening. Uh, Jacob and his wife, as many of you know, were expecting and received bad news today and are in the hospital. Uh, Their baby uh, uh, has passed away and are are now in process of delivering that baby. So we ask that your prayers go out with them at this time uh, as they're going through definitely a tough time. But we want to focus tonight on on the topic at hand and uh, look to God's Word for important lessons that pertain to our spiritual lives to God. That's right. We're here for Bible study. We're certainly sorry for Jacob and Nikki, uh, and do request your prayers for them. we got an important topic tonight. A couple of weeks ago, we covered the topic of why can't I convert my neighbor? What's keeping, me, what's keeping us from being able to convert lost sinners to Christ? And we talked sort of from the negative aspect that night. What are some of the things that we may be doing collectively or personally that are keeping us from being able to convert lost sinners. Tonight, we want to try to deal with more the positive side of that equation. What are some of the things that we can do that will help us be successful in reaching the lost? Earlier today, as I typically do on Thursdays, I sent out some questions to our mailing list, and uh, these were the questions I asked. Now, before I give you the questions, let me tell you how you can reach us. You can be in contact with us either by making a phone call. We've got a toll-free number, and you're welcome to use it, 877-381-4567. That's an easy number to remember, 877-381-4567. Give us a call. Or you can send us an email, the email address, and it's always up, and you can always make contact with us through the email, questions at collegeview.com. Collegeview spelled C-O-L-L-E-G-E, collegeview, V-U-E. That's the unusual part of that spelling. Collegeview is spelled C-O-L-L-E-G-E-V-U-E, questions at collegeview.com. You can send us emails. So we want to hear from you tonight. If you've not already responded to these questions, we'd like you to do so. Question one, what's the best method that you have personally used or learned about from others to reach the lost? So we're talking about what you personally have done, or maybe you know of someone who's used a personal method to try and reach lost sinners. What's the best method that you know of, either by your own personal experience or from talking to others in reaching the lost? That's question one. Question two is, what's the best method for congregations to use in reaching the lost? You know, as as 
groups of Christians working together in a congregation, we we employ different methods and means and programs trying to get the gospel out to the lost. What's the best method that you've heard of or maybe even been a part of in a local congregation reaching out to the lost? And then we usually just ask two questions, but tonight I'm asking you the third one. The third question we ask is, think back to the last five people that you know of who were converted and how were they reached? You know, that's a pretty telling thing right there, Joel. If we, you know, we can make all kind of plans, but we ought to really be duplicating what we know has worked. And so that right. last question is important. Right. It's good to look to success stories, see what worked and and so we can learn from what worked, but we can also draw encouragement that, you know, other Christians are out there. They're being successful. Here's some of the things that have worked for them, and we can make those applications so that we can be successful, too. Yeah, you know, the old saying, we don't have to reinvent the wheel every time. We don't have to come up with something new all the time. If something's working and we know that it's worked and we see converts as a result of it, then we ought to we ought to duplicate those methods. Assuming, of course, now, the big caveat here is that these are scriptural methods. You know, I, I, I imagine that people may be bringing in people from the world to various denominations and might be employing, in fact, I'm sure they are in many instances, employing means that we would not be able to duplicate because they're not authorized in the scriptures. We're looking for things that would be scriptural and authorized that would be successful in reaching the lost. Jesus told us in Matthew chapter 28, verses 19 and 20, go out and spread the gospel to all the world. Uh, that's our job, and we want to know the best way to get it done. So real quickly, again, those three questions. What's the best method you've personally used? What's the best method for a congregation to use? And of of the last five people that you know of who were converted, how were they reached with the gospel? So we want to hear from you. If you've not emailed us yet with a response, uh, please do that. Um, you know, Joel, I think one of the things we've got to do if we're going to be successful and reach people is, is sort of get past the excuses that we offer sometimes. You know, lots of times we excuse ourselves with different excuses. Uh, give us an example. I think that's probably some, we're sometimes we're our worst enemy by making such excuses. You know, one that we've heard a lot of times, that's the preacher's job. That's some, that's what we pay the preacher to do. And that's not something I need to be so concerned about. Let the preacher do that. Yeah, I think that's common for people to say, well, we've got a preacher. We pay him and, and he ought to be out there trying to reach lost. I, I agree that as a preacher, I agree that I ought to be out there trying to reach lost people. I don't deny that at all. But I don't think that that excuses other Christians from doing their job. That's right. We spent some time over the weekend with a preacher from Florida and really was an excellent example of going out and and knocking on doors and really uh, spreading the gospel to the fullest of his ability. It was really an encouragement. That is the preacher's job, but it's also our job, too. And as, as individual Christians, we need to be busy doing that. Second Corinthians 5 and verse 10 says, For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, that every one may receive the things done in his body according to that. He had done, whether it be good or bad. We're all accountable. We're all going to be judged based upon how good we've done. In other words, you're not going to, you're not, you're not going to, in the judgment, be able to say, "Well, we paid the preacher, and the preacher actually was pretty effective." You know, I, he he converted five people last year, and 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 some of the money that I contributed paid for him to be doing that work. Do I get credit too? <laughs> Well, no, we're all accountable. We've all, and so I think that's an excuse we've got to get over. Certainly the preacher ought to be working, but it's not his job exclusively. I hear a lot of people, Joel, and I think that one of the things that holds a lot of people back is, is sort of the idea that I just don't know enough. And I'm, I'm concerned that if I put myself out there, 
I'll I'll sort of get in a bind. People will maybe ask me questions that I can't answer, and it'll be a very embarrassing situation, and I certainly don't want to do that. I just don't feel like I know enough to be involved in evangelism. Uh, we, that that may be a little bit of humility. I, I don't know as much as I want to know. We all probably feel that way. We all probably feel like we can know more, but we all know enough, and that's the important thing to remember. We know enough to be going and telling others about the message of Christ, and we need to be busy doing it. Hebrews chapter 5 and verse 12 says, For when, for when, for the time ye ought to be teachers, ye have need that one teach you again, which be the first principles of the oracles of God, and are become such as ye have need of milk and not of strong meat. If, the, if we don't know enough, that is a problem with ourselves that we need to address immediately. But I think more often than not, we really do know enough, and we're using that as an excuse. Yeah, I think we know enough. But if we don't, then that's a, that's a fixable situation. I can apply myself to become a better Bible student. As you said, Joel, none of us can, can claim to know it all and have every answer. We, if someone asks you a question you can't answer, just be humble enough to say, you know, I don't know the answer to that question, but I'll find out. And I've, I have found through the years that that actually is a pretty good thing because that leaves the door open to another discussion. You know, if, if the person you're trying to talk with asks you a question that you don't know the answer to, just honestly say, I don't know, but I'm, I believe I can find the answer. I can get an answer, and we'll get back together on that. And there you've automatically set up the next study. So that's not a bad thing. And I think Christians need to get over this idea of saying, I, I don't know enough. I'm afraid. I'm afraid they'll ask me questions I can't answer. I think that holds a lot of people back, and there's absolutely no reason to do that. You know, in the book of Revelation, chapter 22, at verse 17, it says, The Spirit and the bride say, Come. And let him that heareth say, come, and let him that is a thirst come, and whosoever will, let him take of the water of life freely. You know, here the scripture says, really all we need to do is say, come. You can do that. Anybody can do that. You say, come, come to services with me, or come, let's have a Bible study. And if if, if you don't feel comfortable teaching that Bible study, get get a more mature member of the Lord's body to come and work with you in that Bible study. All you have to do is say, come. Anybody can say that. And so... The idea that you don't know enough is a sorry excuse, and it's an ineffective excuse, and we need to get past that for sure. Yeah, and here's another excuse that sometimes we might have told ourselves. Nobody's interested. Nobody wants to know what I have to say about that. Nobody's interested. Um, that's something we, we're surrounded by people and just a, just busily going about their lives and totally involved in all of the things of the physical world and the, their jobs and their children, and they're just so busy. They're just not interested, we might tell ourselves. They just I, they don't even have time to slow down for me to even talk to them about it. They've got too much on their plate. They're just not interested. Well, that I think that is false on the very face of it. We've got their churches full of people. Those people were at some point interested enough to listen. You know, the fact that there are churches that are open and in operation indicates that they are interested people. Our own personal experience indicates that there are people out there who are interested and who are seeking, and we need to be looking, especially for those who are seeking. And if we will, I believe that we can certainly reach them with the gospel. We need to get past that excuse, too. Jesus said in John 4, verse 35, Say not ye, they are yet four months, and then cometh the harvest. Behold, I say to you, lift up your eyes and look on the fields, for they're white already to harvest. Jesus said the fields are white to harvest. That's something we got to get our minds around. That there are lost people all around us who need the gospel. A really interesting thing, and I think I've mentioned this before in the virtual Bible study, a really interesting thing is that 
half that's to, they're telling us now. I assume I've I've heard this more than once. Half of all the people who have ever lived in the history of the world are currently alive right now. In other words, if you added up all the dead people who have died since Adam and Eve, added them all up, and then compared that total number to the total number of people who are living right now, something over 6 billion people in the world, there are more people living now than all the dead people who've died in the past. That tells us our job is greater than ever. If if the fields were white unto harvest in Jesus' day, they're really white unto harvest in our day, and we need to get out there looking for those people who are seeking the truth of the gospel. That's exactly right. And another excuse that we might have used before is, I don't have time. You know, we say that a lot. I might not have time to mow my grass, or I might not have time to change the oil in my car. We might say that about a whole multitude of things. But if we say that about this, uh, surely is a sad statement about our own personal and spiritual lives if we don't have time to tell others about the gospel. John chapter 9 and verse 4 says, I must work the works of him that sent me. While it is day, the night cometh when no man can work. Our time's limited, and we've got to be making the most of it. We can't be too busy. Just a narrow window of opportunity here, and if we put it off and postpone it, we may never get back to it. It may grow become too late before we before we're able to do that. Uh, I think you're exactly right. We've got to we've got to be busy uh, doing the work of the Lord. And then one more, and, and uh, we're just kind of talking about some some excuses, some negatives, some things that people have tried to use to get themselves out of this work some people say i'm afraid i'm afraid and and i think the right question the right follow-up question to that what are you afraid of what what you know now there might have been times and maybe there are places in the world even now where people you know you know might persecute you bodily or physically for, for proclaiming the truth of the gospel but it's not so where we are you can you can go out and Talk to people about God and talk about salvation in Christ Jesus, and you can spread the gospel. What are they going to do to you? What's the very worst thing? The worst thing they might do is belittle you or ridicule you a little. They're certainly not going to harm you physically. What are you afraid of? That's right. I've been having those conversations with my son in first grade. You know, somebody might pick on him, and that makes such a big deal to him. He's afraid of that. He 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 wants to get away from that so bad. But I think as adults, sometimes we're still tied into those same childish fears that maybe somebody uh, is going to say something to me that uh, won't be positive based upon what I'm talking to them about. We need to just get over that. There's nothing there that we need to be afraid of. Matthew 10:28 says, And fear not them which kill the body, but are not able to kill the soul, but rather fear him which is able to destroy both soul and body in hell. That's right. The, the, the one we need to fear is God. We don't need to fear these other people because that, the worst they could do to you is kill you, Jesus said. And that wouldn't, and and that's not the worst thing of all. The worst thing is to not please the Lord and not do His will and not accomplish our purposes here on earth. Let me repeat our questions to you. We're getting, still getting some responses. And we want to hear from you. Uh, we're going to go to a break here in a minute. But remember our questions that we put out there before the program's over. We want to get to a lot of these emails where people are sending in their suggestions. Number one, what's the best method that you personally know of for to in other words, as an individual, what might an individual personally do to help spread the gospel? What's the best method? Secondly, what's the best method that a congregation might employ to spread the gospel? And third, of the last five people you know of who were converted, how were they reached? That's a telling thing. We would like to know that. That's a, that'd be an interesting poll to take. So uh, get, get us an email or give us a phone call. The email is questions at collegeview.com. Our email, that's our email, and the phone number is 877 877- 
toll free 877-381-4567. We'll be right back after this break. Don't touch that mouse. The virtual Bible study will be back right after this. Hi, my name is Mike Johnson. I'm a member here at the College of You Church of Christ. Have you ever heard someone say that the members of the Church of Christ are too legalistic? Generally, people say this when we say that we must be careful to follow all the commands that God has given us. When we say, God says we must do this, or God doesn't command us to do that, people respond with, the members of the Church of Christ are too legalistic. Well, while it may be impossible to know exactly what people mean when they make this accusation, if they are accusing us of being legalistic because we say that we should follow all the instructions that God has given us, then that accusation is correct. But let me ask you this. Which of the commands that God has given us should we ignore? Can we pick and choose which commands we follow, or must we follow them all? Jesus said we have to follow all the commands of God when he said in Luke chapter 6, verse 46, And why call ye me Lord, Lord, and do not the things which I say? We want to call Jesus our Lord, so we try to follow all the commandments that he has given us. We don't in any way think that following God's commands earns our salvation, but we do think it is necessary to be pleasing to him. Here at the College of You Church of Christ, we're trying to follow every command that God has given us. If, as a result, some people call us legalistic, then so be it. We think it's what God calls being righteous. I'm James Buchanan from Columbia, Tennessee, and I love to listen to the virtual Bible study. Use your internet connection for something good. Listen to the virtual Bible study every week. Now, back to the program. And welcome back to the Virtual Bible Study. We're glad you're out there listening over the Internet. We want your participation tonight as we talk about some of the things that will help us reach the lost. We want to talk about some things, some attitudes we need to develop, and even some methods that we can employ to help us reach the lost people of the world. That's our job. That's what we're supposed to be doing. And so what are some of the things that work? Remember our questions. What do you know of that works well as individuals go about doing this work? Number one. Number two, what works well for congregations? Number three, of the last five people converted that you know of, how were they reached with the gospel? Let us know your responses to that, and we're going to get to those emails here in just a little bit. We appreciate your uh, participation in the virtual Bible study, and we think it makes our program the very best. So give us a call, 877-381-4567, or send us an email to questions at collegeview.com. You know, uh, Joel, as we look to the scriptures, we can kind of see some of the things that uh, are characteristics or attitudes that we need to possess to do this job well. And I I would start out by saying, you know, if we're really going to do this job well, one of the things that we've got to do is be really honestly convinced that if we don't do this, if we don't reach people with the gospel those who've not obeyed the gospel are lost and destined to spend eternity in hell. We've got to be convinced of that. If if I can see my neighbor, but I don't really think he's, you know, it's not that serious of a deal because, you know, I don't really think he's lost, then I'm not going to work very hard. But if I see him as a truly lost person who will go to hell unless I do my job well, that's going to motivate me to get busy. Yeah, that's a powerful motivator. We have to be firmly convinced of the the severity of the fact that our friends and our neighbors that don't know the gospel, have not obeyed the gospel, have no chance of an eternity in heaven uh, after this life is over. And we need to use that as as the motivation to kind of to give us a kick, to get us started, to make us go out and do what we know we need to be doing. We might say, well, I know Johnny. He's a pretty good fellow. I hope he's going to be okay. No, we need to say, I know Johnny, and I love Johnny, and I'm concerned about him, and I want to go out and I want to teach him the gospel and make sure that he knows 
the plan of salvation that he's become a Christian and he's a, a faithful servant of God. Exactly right. Jesus said in Luke 19, verse 10, the son of man has come to seek and save that which was lost. Jesus saw it as his whole purpose. That's what he lived for, to seek and save the lost. The apostle Paul was in Athens and it says in Acts 17, verse 16, his spirit was stirred in him when he saw the city wholly given to idolatry. Here Paul was in a pagan city. These people were lost. They didn't know the truth about Jesus. They had not obeyed the gospel. And and that really stirred his spirit. He was upset by that, and he couldn't keep quiet. The, the, that text in Acts 17 goes on to record the sermon, the famous sermon that he preached on Mars Hill in Athens, because he could not keep still when he realized this city is just full of lost people. i got to talk to him. Right. In Acts 20, verse 31 Watch there, therefore watch and remember that by the space of three years I cease not to warn everyone night and day with tears, uh, to the point of tears, the concern and, the, and so motivated that he would not cease for three years to try to teach them. Yeah, Paul said that he worked day and night at it, and he was motivated to tears over the importance of the job that he had to do. So that's number one. Number one thing you got to do is realize that the people that you're in contact with on a daily basis, many of them are really lost people going to hell, and the only chance that they might avoid that is if you can reach them with the gospel. You got to be busy, so we got to we got to have that attitude. And secondly, uh, we need to be equipped with a practical knowledge of the Bible. We've talked about that. One of the excuses we could say that we just don't know enough. Well, we need to know enough. We need to have enough of a practical knowledge that we can go and talk to others. And tell others. And when we have that knowledge, and when we and continue to increase our knowledge of the scriptures, we'll be, I think we'll be more confident in that, and put our trust in the Lord and in the power of His gospel. And we need to be going out and teaching others. John chapter twenty, thirty verses thirty and thirty one, and many other signs truly did Jesus in the presence of His disciples, which are not written in this book, but these are written that you might believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the, the Son of God. And that believing you might have life through his name. In other words, the things that are written are written so that we can believe. In other words, so we got to be equipped. We got to be acquainted with the things that are written because those things are written so that people can believe. Therefore, we got to have that good working knowledge of the Bible so we can convince people. Uh, in Acts chapter 2, verse 37, after the first gospel sermon was preached, the people said, Men and brethren, what shall we do? In other words, they were when they heard this, it says they were pricked in their heart and said to Peter, the rest of the apostles, men and brethren, what shall we do? That's the, that's what we want to do. We want to present the case so that people will say, what can we do? And then be ready to give them an answer. We got to have that good knowledge of the scripture for sure. You got to. <clears throat> and now what we're doing here is enumerating some attitudes, some things that that might uh, uh, help us if we can develop the right characteristics, uh, the right way of thinking. Certainly. We already said earlier, Joel, sometimes we claim we're too busy. We're not too busy. We need to deny ourselves. We've got lots of free time. You know, I, I, I think it's true. I think no one could contradict me when I say that we have more discretionary free time than anybody who's ever lived in the history of time. You know, we're busy. But a lot of times we're busy with things we choose to do. You know, I've got my recreation. I've got my ball games. I, you know, uh, yeah, certainly we have to work, but we got a lot of free time, too, time that we choose and and in that free time where we, we're making choices, we need to deny ourselves a little to get busy doing this work. Yeah, I think too often we're the very best probably at keeping ourselves busy with whatever we want to be doing. And if we make uh, this service to the Lord and teaching others a priority, 
and deny some of our physical wants and some of our physical pleasures. You know, we, we're very, very involved in uh, sports and recreation and things of that nature. We need to deny ourselves and uh, do what the Lord has asked us to do. Matthew 16 and verse 24, Then said Jesus unto his disciples, If any man will come after me, let him deny let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. Self-denial. Jesus said you got it's, it's a part of being a disciple. You've got to be willing to deny yourself. If you're going to do this job, you've got to keep on keeping on. You can't give up. You've got to be steadfast in effort. Uh, you, you know, you can't be the kind of person who says, well, I tried that once and it didn't work, and therefore I'm not going to try it anymore. That that uh, that won't happen. You, you very, There's a very high likelihood that you're going to have to talk to a lot of people before you find that first real truth seeker who will listen to the gospel and be converted. I've heard different statistics, and I don't know how you would maybe get a real handle statistically on this, but I've heard some suggest that it you have to talk to as many as a hundred people before you find one honest truth seeker. So maybe one percent of the people that you have contact with and that you talk to might respond. One in a hundred. So what's that mean? You got to try a hundred times to find one. You got to be steadfast in effort. Galatians six verse nine. Paul said, "Let us not be weary in well doing, for in due season we shall reap if we faint not." Don't grow weary. Keep on keeping on in ecclesiastes 11 verse 7 the wise man said in the morning sow thy seed and in the evening withhold not thine hand for thou knowest not whether shall prosper either this or that or whether they both shall be alike good uh there the idea is you know sow the seed because you don't know which of it will bring fruit keep working don't give up yeah, probably every one of our listeners in the morning when that alarm clock goes off, you're going to be tired. You're not going to want to get up and go to work, but you make yourself do it every day. And that's the same way with this. This may not be something that comes easy to you. It may not be something that you're just uh, over the top, feel like you're qualified to do, uh, feel like you're the best person at it. But we have to stay steadfast in it. We cannot become weary in it. We've got to keep on keeping on and keep pressing uh, to get this goal accomplished. In Luke chapter 8, one of, the, one of the parables of Jesus that surely would come up in a discussion like we're having tonight, Joel, is the parable of the sower. And there's something interesting here. A sower went out to sow his seed. It says Luke 8, beginning verse 5. And as he sowed, some fell by the wayside, and it was trodden down, and the fowls of the air devoured it. And some fell upon a rock, and as soon as it was sprung up, it withered away because it lacked moisture. And some fell among thorns, and the thorns sprang up with it and choked it. And other fell on good ground and sprang up and bare fruit a hundredfold. And when he had said these things, he cried, He that hath ears to hear, let him hear. And then he went on to explain the parable of the sower. But the uh, the main thing that I want to emphasize right here is that that sower was sowing his seed all the time and everywhere. He wasn't being choosy you know he wasn't saying well i don't think the seed will work here so i'm not going to sow any seed here he was just out there sowing the seed he was busy constantly everywhere all the time spreading the seed that needs to be indicative of us i think one of the things we do joel too often is that we try to prejudge people you know ah, that guy he wouldn't listen even if i tried he wouldn't listen therefore i'm not going to try that holds us back way too much I think you're right. Too often we want to do a little pre-screening in our minds, maybe look for that low-hanging fruit, the easy convert. Uh, obviously, here from the sower, uh, he, he wasn't uh, sparing with his seed. He sowed it to everyone and to all on all types of soil, and we can take a lesson from that. 
I believe I believe that we need to develop an enthusiasm for this job. I, you know, how many of us have at various times said, "Well, I, I'm going to do it. I'm going to go out and knock on some doors, or I'm going to try to talk to that guy at at work that I've had coffee break with for the last 15 years, and I've never brought up spiritual matters. Uh, I'm going to try it, but I'm going to tell you, I really don't want to. I'm going to do it because I feel like I have to, but I'd rather take a beating than have to go out there and do that. I, I just don't want to do it. I know I have to, but I just don't want to. I, I'm going to tell you, somebody who enters into a job with that kind of attitude, you can almost guarantee they're not going to be successful. You've yeah. got to be enthusiastic. That's exactly right. If you, that fellow at work, you're at his coffee break, he's a turkey hunter, turkey season's kind of, he's going to be enthusiastic about his turkey hunting. And you might be enthusiastic with him, but you need to have that same enthusiasm and more so with spiritual things. We all have this ability to talk fervently and, and enthusiastically and zealously about things that we are motivated about, things that we enjoy. We need to have that same level of enthusiasm about spiritual things and about teaching others. Um, we can be so excited about something of this world, and then if we come to that same person we've been talking to about something physically and then say, oh, you know, by the way, um, I would like to talk to you about something spiritual. But we just we have not done a very good job of selling, if you will, our message. That's exactly right. We're, we're coming up on a break, but I wanted to mention at least maybe a couple more things. One thing is we certainly need to pray about this. You know, uh, James chapter 1, verse 5, James said, if any of you lack wisdom, let him ask of God that giveth all men liberally, and it braideth not, and it shall be given him. If you feel like you lack the wisdom to do this job, pray about it. Pray for God's help. And then also, we need to be motivated by love. We spoke briefly about that when we were talking about our conviction and being convicted that the uh, those around us are lost. We need to understand that they're lost, and we need to all be motivated by love for that person's soul. First Corinthians 15, verse 1, beginning, Moreover, brethren, I declare unto you the gospel which I preached unto you, which also... Ye have received, and wherein ye stand, by which also ye are saved, if ye keep in memory what I what I preached unto you, unless ye have believed in vain. For I delivered unto you first of all that which I also received, how that Christ died for our sins, according to the Scriptures, that he was buried, and that he rose again on the third day, according to the Scriptures. All right, so we gotta we got to have that love for lost souls, and if we do, it's going to motivate us to... To do this important work. We're going to go to a break. Let me remind you, we're going to go to our emails when we get back from this break. Let me remind you of the questions we're asking. What's the best method that you personally have used or know about to reach the lost? What's the best method for a congregation to use in reaching the lost? And think back to the last five people that you know of who've been converted. How were they reached? Send us an email, questions at collegeview.com, or give us a phone call, 877 381 Four five six seven, and we'll be right back after this break. You won't want to miss what we talk about next. The discussion continues right after these important messages. I'm Greg Gwynn, a host of the Virtual Bible Study. Thanks for joining us for tonight's program. The Virtual Bible Study is presented weekly by the College View Church of Christ in Columbia, Tennessee. Each week on the Virtual Bible Study, we simply engage in the study of God's Word in an effort to better understand it, better understand how God views us, and better understand what He wants from us in our lives. We're not studying any creeds. We're not studying any books written by men. We're just studying the Bible. And we're trying to study the Bible alone without any of our opinions or wisdom mixed in. We're only interested in what our Creator has revealed to us in his word. We realize that we're fallible and cannot direct our own steps. As a result, what we think or feel doesn't really matter. All that matters is what God has said. So that's what the virtual Bible study is all about. It's pretty simple, isn't it? Thanks again for joining us tonight, and we'll hope you'll make plans to join us every Thursday night for the virtual Bible study. 
My name is Roger Toombs, and me and my wife love to listen to the virtual Bible study on Thursday nights. A streaming Bible study. Why didn't I think of that? Now back to the guys. And welcome back to the virtual Bible study. We're glad that you're with us as we continue to study from the scriptures tonight. Uh, we're talking about what I think is really an important subject, and that is how to reach the lost with the gospel. Uh, we've got several emails that have come in. I want to go to those, Joel, and see if we can't get some ideas from some of these folks. I want to start with one from uh, Al down in Florida who writes in some of the things that he has tried and heard of. He says, what's the best method that you've personally used? He said, I've personally had success by joining a local civic club, in his case, the Rotary Club, and becoming acquainted with some of the movers and shakers in the community, thereby gaining their respect. From what, uh, from that, I baptized a, a member of the Rotary Club, his wife and his mother-in-law. Other acquaintances in the Rotary Club became regular listeners to our radio program, though none became Christians. They're responsible for obeying what they hear. You know, from that, now Al mentions specifically Joel joining the Rotary Club, but the, the, if you were to generalize the concept there is get out there among the people. Know some people. You know, if we just stay at home and stay locked up in our own four walls and don't know anybody, we're not going to be able to influence anybody. So we've got to get out there, use various means. Al used a, a Rotary Club membership. There might be plenty of other opportunities, you know. Kids in Little League or kids in scouting or, uh, you know, something that you're doing that puts you in contact with people that you might be able to influence by your example and teaching. Yeah, you, if, if, if any of us think we don't come into contact with people that we can be spreading the message, we're, I think we'd be sorely mistaken. If you take a just a simple poll or keep a track as you go throughout your next day or two and just make a note every time you run into someone or speak to someone at work, at school, we are constantly surrounded by people that we can be uh, spreading the message to. Exactly right. He goes on to say, I know of one preacher in North Florida whose son is in high school band. He became active in band support activities and now has a weekly Bible study with at least a dozen members of the Baptist church. So there's one. There's another one. He says, we just need to get out amongst them and be nice. Second Timothy 2, 24 through 26. Participate in wholesome community activities and let the beauty of Jesus be seen in us. I agree with Al wholeheartedly. He says, let's follow the Apostle Paul's example in evangelism as well as worship activity. He says, I have become all things to all men so that by all means I might save some. First Corinthians 9 verse 22. And one thing to key in there in Al's comment I think is good is he mentioned wholesome activities. Too often I think Christians have made excuses. I'll go to this questionable activity and I'll be there, but I'll be a good example to them. And I, uh, we need to we need not put ourselves in compromising situations to get this task done. We need to be in wholesome activities, get involved with the community, be around others, but make sure that we're in wholesome activities and aren't going to be a, a temptation to detriment saying, to ourselves. You're saying it would be counterproductive for me to go to a bar with a bunch of guys and then think that I'm going to have a chance to influence them for good. Right, right. That's not likely to happen. But as as he says here, get involved in wholesome community activities and get to know people. we got to know people to reach people. I think Al's got some good points there. He He goes on. His email says, what's the best method for congregations to use in reaching the lost? He says, implement a program which affords all of the congregation an opportunity to participate. Direct mail can be effective. Keep the congregation informed of the progress of the program. He gives a website here, and I'm not familiar with it. I'm going I'm to read it off to you all, and, and you may want to check it out. In regards to using direct mail, www.datamangroup, that's D-A-T-A-M-A-N-G-R-U-P, datamangroup.com. 
dot com slash church underscore outreach dot asp so go to datamangroup.com al says that's a good place to to get hooked up to do some direct mail kind of things and the whole congregation can be involved he says make sure new converts are the focus of assimilation by all the congregation joel i know this has been a problem at different times uh, here in our local congregation someone comes in but they never really get bonded with the group and maybe after a short while they fall away we've got to make sure that we may make new converts the focus of our attention get them assimilated into the group so that they feel apart yeah we can't expect a new convert to come into the the congregation and immediately put forth all the effort to bond and, and make the friendships and draw that strength from brothers and sisters that they should we can easily assume that there's a, some maybe some shyness or something along those lines. It's our goal and it's our uh, responsibility, I think, as members to reach out to those new converts. Too oftentimes, I think maybe congregations are cliquish. We've got our groups of friends. As soon as the amen said, I go to this corner and uh, everyone, someone else goes to that corner and we split up into these little maybe these little huddles and uh, somebody might have a group that talks about fishing. Somebody else might have a group that talks about something else. Um, Hopefully some of us will will keep things spiritual and won't immediately jump back to the physical. But the idea is that we need to reach out to those new converts and not let them uh, sort of wither on the vine, if you will. Uh, Al goes on and says, uh, every visitor to the congregation should receive a thanks for visiting card for all the congregation. You can add local visitors to a weekly bulletin mail list. So some good ideas there for things we could do congregationally. And then finally, he answers the question of the last five people you know who were converted. How were they reached? Persistent personal invitation to attend local services, casual but persistent mention of Bible topics, like what did you think of the sermon last Sunday? Did that tract I gave you bring any questions to mind? Would a Tuesday night Bible study work for you or would Friday afternoon be better? He says, genuine friendship by a Christian to those who are the spouse or children of fellow church members. I see a thread there, Joel, that I that I think is absolutely true. You know, we can come up with all kinds of schemes to try and reach people we don't know in the local community. Uh, Al mentions, for instance, direct mail. I think it's a good plan. But direct mail is is targeting people out there that we've never met and we don't know yet. I think if all of us would think back to the last five people that have been converted in our local congregation, we'll find out that the vast majority of converts are coming from people we already know. We target strangers. That's fine. We should do that. But history will bear out that we have far greater success working with the people who we already know. And we know they're lost, and we know their need for salvation, and we just need to be reaching out to them. Right. We have a powerful uh, sphere of influence with the people that that we know and that we're acquainted with and we see on a regular basis and if we'll work with that group, that's going to be a uh, kind of a honey hole for us, a, a sweet spot that we can make a lot, do a lot of good and have a, and a lot of success, I think, in, in converting others. Exactly right. Our friend Chris in Lexington, Tennessee, has written in, and he says, I've been looking for that one secret to reach the lost, but the best things that I have found can be boiled down to a couple of words. First, shine, Matthew 5:16. let your light so shine that they may see your good works and and glorify your Father which is in heaven. And second, speak. Shine and speak. We need to be the right kind of people, and then we just need to speak to people and actually show them that we care about them. The power of an invitation can be unlimited. I think Chris is right on that. We talk about that a lot, That the shining, the example. That may be easier for us sometimes in the speaking. It's not just enough to, to be the example. We actually have to do the talking as well. 
We've got an email, Joel, from a listener in East Tennessee who says the best thing that I've ever been told about reaching the lost was from a preacher holding a gospel meeting for us several years ago. And he said to start where the person you are teaching is. We can see the Ethiopian that Philip taught in Acts 8. He started where he was reading and taught from there. I think that's a good point. You know, if if I'm studying with an atheist, there's no use me trying to talk about some doctrine of the church, you know, some some doctrine about how we worship or something like that. The first thing I got to do is convince him that there is a God. And so, you know, the uh, the thing that we got to do is find out where they are, what they need to learn still and start at that point. She goes on to say, we need to make sure to show others respect for their faith that they might have. Without that, we can do more harm than good and close their ears to anything that we might be able to teach. We need to remember they have just as much faith in the error they may be believing as we do in the truth. If they have a true and sincere heart, we can get them to sit down with the scriptures. It's really not too hard to lead them to the truth. The last five people I helped to convert were people that were actually friends of others that came with them to services, except for one that I work with. We miss a lot of opportunities. If someone is curious enough about what we teach to actually come to services, then they are already showing their hearts are open. We don't need to attack them, but openly, honestly, just ask about their faith. If we allow them to share that with us, then it's not too hard to lead them to the truth of the scriptures. Notice there again, Joel, she says the last five people that she knows of that were converted and that she was a part of were all people that were already known, friends of others and one person that I per, that, that she herself worked with on the job, people they already knew. That's what we were saying. And she speaks there about uh, having respect for others and approach. Uh, probably many in our audience have been in um, some type of business and some kind of, of uh, human uh, interaction training. And in our jobs, we're not rude to someone if we want to have them help us get some task done. We're working in a te- as a team on some task in our corporation. We we treat one another with respect, and we're kind and polite to one another. That That's how you work together towards a, towards a common goal. Sometimes I think we just – pull over this veil of, of sternness and maybe this harshness once uh, we go from being real soft and kind and then we put into this mode of over-aggressive and over-the-top uh, over once we start trying to talk about things that are spiritual. We need to keep that same approach, the respectful and kind and fearful and be motivated by love when we approach others. This email goes on to say, we have to be careful thinking we really have anything to do with it. God changes man's hearts. We really don't do anything but present the truth, staying away from opinions. In other words, God, I think that's true. If if I could just add a comment there, God reaches men's hearts through the word. Uh, and that's therefore our job to present the truth. I think that's exactly right. We need to make sure and approach every situation with fear and trembling, understanding that we don't know everything. When I was taught, the man that taught me said that if we see some something in two different ways in the scriptures one of us is wrong because god has only one thing in mind we might think this but are too adamant that the other person is the one that's wrong we need to approach every situation as if it could be me that's wrong as well as them when i actually did what what i actually did was found that denomination or church they were affiliated with and actually went to their website and printed off information of what they teach and used the scriptures to show what the scriptures actually say about something you know that's interesting approach I think a lot of times people in some religious organizations are not familiar with the what, what their own group teaches, and we might be able to inform them about that and compare it to the truth. Uh, this Finally, uh, it says, the amazing thing is when you teach people with this approach, they do exactly as those in the scriptures that were converted. They come to the knowledge of the truth. They will 
actually either say they need to be baptized or they will ask what they need to do. Uh, so in other words, if, if we use that kind of approach that she's suggesting, we're going to get some of the same kind of reactions that we read about in the New Testament. Uh, thanks for that email. Got another email from East Tennessee. And I'm just going to read one part of this. It says, I always thought of inviting the lost to worship was the ideal place to bring them so they'll ask questions and get exposure to worship, the kind of worship that God instructs. I think that's true. Uh, you know, uh, now, I don't think that that is always the way that we're going to reach somebody. Uh, in fact, I think it's harder and harder these days to find people who are willing to come out to, to worship services with us. But we ought to be making those invitations. Some people definitely will. And if we can find people at the moment in which they're seeking for something spiritual and we invite them to services, that's a, that's an ideal, very simple thing. And anybody can do it. Remember we read from Revelation 22, uh, let, let he who heareth say, come. We can say, come, come with me, come to services. And that's not a difficult thing. We can definitely do that. We need to do that. Uh we're coming up on another break, and I want to take that break. We've got some more emails to get to. Uh, if you've not emailed us yet, Send us your idea as to what is a good way individually to reach people or congregationally to reach people. And also think back to the people that you know of who were recently converted. How were they reached? We want to hear from you. 877-381-4567 is the number. 877-381-4567. Or send us an email to questions at collegeview.com. We're going to be right back after this break. Enjoying the virtual Bible study? Email a friend during this break and tell them to join in on the discussion. There's more exciting Bible study after this commercial. Hi, I'm Wade Shelton. In 1 Peter 3.15, the scripture says, But sanctify the Lord God in your hearts, and be ready always to give an answer to every man that asks you a reason of the hope that is in you with meekness and fear. You see, we believe here at College View that we should be ready always to give an answer to every man that asks us. And I believe that we are dedicated to this cause. That's why we here at College View bring you the virtual Bible study each week. Our hope is that you will join us each week here on the virtual Bible study in hopes of strengthening your faith so that you will be ready always to give an answer to every man that asketh you a reason of the hope that is in you. Please join us here every Thursday night on the virtual Bible study. I know that it's worth an hour of your time. Hello, I'm Nick Law from Jennings, Florida. I love to listen to the virtual Bible study and hear God's Word taught every Thursday night. Quit checking your email. The commercials are over and the virtual Bible study is ready to roll. Take it away, guys. And welcome back to the virtual Bible study. We've got 15 more minutes. We're going to go to the top of the hour talking about spiritual things, and we want you to be a part of it. Thanks for listening to the virtual Bible study tonight. We hope you'll make it a regular Thursday night appointment. Mark it on your calendar. I ran into a guy up in Indiana who has an alarm set on his cell phone that goes off every Thursday night just a few minutes before program time. That's a pretty good idea. You know, I, I think that there's some people who would, you know, oh, I forgot to listen again. You know, they, they, they say, oh, I'd love to be, I should have listened and I, I let it, the time slip up. You know, you can set your cell phone so it'll go off every Thursday night just a couple of minutes before 8 o'clock Central Time. And maybe you ought to do that to remind you to listen to the virtual Bible study. We want you to be a regular listener. we got some more emails. We're talking about things that work, things that are successful in reaching the lost. We've got a, an email from Steve up in Pennsylvania at the University of Pittsburgh, uh, and he's a regular listener to the program. Thanks for participating to the pro, uh, virtual Bible study tonight, Steve. He says, here are the answers to your questions. Number one, I, un, I understood the question in two different ways, so I'll answer the question this way. First, 
Some people are offended when you bring up anything about the gospel. The best approach I use is to reach out to those that I'm closest to. Eventually, I'll bring up the topic. But if they bring up the topic, then I'll definitely start talking about it. An example of them bringing up the topic would be, say, something like, oh, my God, to which I respond, you believe in God? And if they are an atheist, then I ask them, why are you? Why then are you proclaiming God to, to the world? In other words, he uses that uh, vain expression Maybe open up an opportunity. That's kind of interesting. Secondly, if I'm beginning to have Bible studies with the individual, I'll first ask if they believe in God. If not, then I'll stop there to discuss evidences. If they do believe in God, then I'll ask, do you believe the Bible is accurate and that we need authority from the Bible to live as Christians? If not, then I'll start discussing historical accuracy of the Bible and or use scriptures to show authority. If they are religious, then I ask them about their beliefs and also ask for book, chapter, and verse and I do likewise, as we are commanded in First Peter 3.15, which tells us that we are to be ready always to give an answer for our faith. Number two, the best method for a congregation is to reach out. Uh, reaching out to the lost is obvious. He says, with a cafe and rock and roll band singing Jesus Rocks. Of course, that's tongue in cheek because I know Steve doesn't believe in that or do that. He says the only real way to read is to teach from Scripture. And some good scriptures to use, Colossians 3.17, about authority. Matthew 28, verses 18 through 20, where Jesus is given all authority. Uh, He says it does not matter how we go and teach the the lost just as long as we go. And then finally, excuse me, go ahead. Well, Steve there makes joke about uh, some of the modern things going on. A lot of denominations have have, uh, stopped at no expense and at at no uh, methods uh, and have gone way outside the scope of a biblical authority to try to reach converts. But the way to do what we're talking about tonight hasn't changed. Uh, since the beginning of the church, uh, we must employ the same methods that we read about in the New Testament. Yeah, and I mentioned this earlier, Joel, but I think it's worth repeating. When we talk about means and methods to reach the lost, I hope it's understood that we're talking only about things that would be authorized in Scripture. We're, you know, there, there are a lot of things that that different religious groups do that I believe are not authorized. Uh, so we're we're thinking about things that we could do individually or congregationally that would be authorized by the Word of God. And then about the last five people converted, he said, number three, uh, unfortunately, I cannot go back to the last five people I've converted because I have not, but I look forward to the day when I can get just one. Sadly, I believe this is the same situation with many young Christians, but the only way you can reach out and convert those who are lost is if they have an honest heart and are diligently searching for the truth. I think another good point to bring up here is that we must be careful. I've seen situations where a boyfriend or girlfriend has been converted for quite obvious reasons, and when they break up, we never see that converted individual again. I believe that even in these situations, we can look at the hearts of individuals to see if they're honest Christians by the fruit that they produce. You know, and I've known of situations like that, too. And we've got to be careful about, you know, certainly if you're dating someone and they're not a Christian, you want to influence them to the gospel. But in those kinds of situations, we need to exercise extra caution to make sure that we're convincing them that they're doing this because of a response to the Lord and not because of their uh, affection for the one they're dating or something. I think that's a good point to stress. We need to do that. Uh, we got an email from our friend Pat in Harvest, Alabama, and he just mentioned one thing, and we'll mention that. He, uh, Pat, and I know Pat, and Pat has done this for a long time. He's used a, a telecomputer that automatically dials phone numbers and uh, uh, plays a recorded message and offers a correspondence course and so forth. Uh, and and I know that that has been successful. Only thing I would, and that's that's potentially something that that different ones could use. 
congregationally or individually. I, th- I think Pat uses it just as an individual Christian. He he owns one of those things and uses it. The one thing I would caution in some places, and I don't know where they are, but in some places, I think in some whole states, I think perhaps here in the state of Tennessee where we are, that is illegal to do that, that there's a law against doing that. And so I think you'd want to be careful about making sure that that kind of thing is authorized uh, uh, and and you wouldn't be a, a law violator in doing that. Uh, so that's something to check out. But uh, Pat mentions that he has done that. Don in Antioch, Tennessee, has written in and says, uh, Jesus told the apostles to go into all the world and preach the gospel, Mark sixteen fifteen, and that's what we should also be doing. The best method I know of is to use the media, such as TV, radio, Internet, and written sermons. Uh, he says congregations should support those methods, TV, radio, Internet, and written sermons. He says, I believe there are probably more converts today from this method than from any other method in history. Uh, some people will say that there are too many false teachings on the radio, TV, and Internet, and that's true, but it's no different from the false teachers in pulpits or individuals going door-to-door spreading false teachings. So Don suggests using the media, and you know, that's a thing that can be used individually or congregationally. Now, the virtual Bible study, for instance, is something, is the work of a, of a congregation here in Columbia, Tennessee, the College View Church of Christ. And this is something that we're trying to do to get the gospel message out. But, you know, individuals, I know plenty of individuals who maintain websites, uh, who, who do different kinds of things to try and get the message out. So that's something available both individuals and congregations. <coughs> and we got an email from Patrick, and I'm, I'm not sure where Patrick's located, and he sends in this, a rather long email. I don't know if I can get to all of this. We're going to run short on time here in a minute. But he says, what's the best method you've personally used? He says, prayer and personal spiritual life are mandatory. Without a personal spiritual life, an individual will not be able to draw others to Christ. Others will see an unprayerful Christian as being no different from anyone else. In fact, worse, others will probably conclude he's a hypocrite and without and not without justification. A Christian who doesn't pray has no power to fight sin or do anything of spiritual merit. In addition to that, a Christian should be humble. If a Christian is prideful, that will turn away anyone very quickly. I know of a man who tells his own story of conversion and speaks about a Christian who essentially told him that he was better than he was because he was a Christian and the other man was not. That Christian was prideful, and rather than showing Christ's love, caused the other man to think, if that's what it means to be a Christian, then I don't want to be one. Years later, the same man did become a Christian, but it was despite this encounter rather than because of it. Uh, Then he speaks of... Uh, apologetics. It's imp- an important aspect in evangelization, evangelization is to be able to answer the questions and objections that others present to you. The kind of knowledge you need is different depending upon your audience. The kind of preparation you need when speaking to a Christian of a different denomination will be different than when speaking to an atheist or an agnostic, a Jew, a Muslim, a, Bu- a Buddhist, or any number of other religious backgrounds. Particularly for a person who already considers himself to be a Christian, one can depend largely upon biblical passages to answer questions. Uh, so he, he says, be ready. Be prepared to give your answer. Congregationally, says Beth Method, love. Take care of the needs of those who are in need. Demonstrate the love of Christ. And when those who are lost see that Christians are, are what Christians are doing to serve others, then you won't have to wonder how to make others interested. They'll want to know and will ask you. I would add a caveat to that statement. There there are certain limitations on what the church is authorized to do in the in the realm of benevolence to non-Christians. We've talked about that before in the virtual Bible study. I wouldn't want to leave that uncommented on here in this email. And then he says, truth. When it's time to teach, don't water down the truth. Good is good. Evil is evil. The teaching of doctrine can't be ignored. 
And contrary to the opinions of some, it is not an act of love to intentionally uh, withhold some teaching or another because you think it will offend someone or be an undue burden on someone. If a man has multiple wives, he needs to be instructed that he is only allowed one wife. This is genuine. This is a genuine concern today in some countries. While a person can be a good Christian, uh, well, I'm going to skip part of that, but I think he's right. I'm just going to jump to the next point. He says, but basically, don't water down the truth. That's certainly true. And then of the last five people converted, how were they reached? Um, he says, I can recall one friend who spoke last uh, with whom I spoke last night. She was evangelized through a program called Theology on Tap. This is in an effort typically directed toward younger people in their late teens, 20s, and 30s. Uh, they meet in places like coffee shops and so forth and so on. So he says uh, uh, this was a this was a place where, in other words, they went someplace where they could reach lost people. Uh, and then another uh, was someone who spoke to him frequently about religious topics. Uh, and so this was someone he knew. And this person brought up religious uh, topics, and he well, used that as an opportunity to teach her. So again, that would bear out what we were saying earlier, Joel that the greatest success that we're likely to have with people we already know. That's exactly right. You know, sometimes we can have that infl- that uh, success by meeting a total stranger and asking them to come to church with us or asking for a Bible study. But more often than not, uh, those people that we know and already have some influence over and uh, some some uh, good reper- repertoire with uh, will be most successful. <coughs> Next, let's talk about... Uh, well, you know, some... we, could, we could verify that or emphasize that from the Scriptures, Joel, by looking at some New Testament examples of who was, who, who, did, who did the teaching and who did they reach for the teaching. Give us some examples there, Joel. Well, a great example is Andrew brought his own brother to Jesus in Andrew, the book of John. Yeah, Andrew brought Peter, his brother, John 1, verses 40 and 42. That's obvious something he already knew. Philip brought, in, in the same chapter, Philip brought his friend, Nathaniel, John chapter 1, verses 43 through 45. So look right there. Two two examples. Andrew brought his brother. Philip brought his friend. People they already knew. Right. And uh, another example would be the Samaritan woman went to her neighbors to tell them about Jesus and John. There again in John chapter 4. So they were her neighbors. They were people she knew. She found out about Jesus. Jesus had a one-on-one discussion with her. She found out the truth, and she immediately went and told her neighbors. Uh, the evangelist felt now now stepping stepping away from that a minute. The evangelist Philip taught a total stranger when he converted the Ethiopian eunuch in Acts chapter eight, beginning verse twenty six. So it wasn't that they were just talking to people that they knew; they were also talking to strangers. So we can we can imitate both of those. Um, the apostle Paul used every opportunity to reach people that he knew were already religiously inclined but in error. We mentioned earlier in Acts chapter 17 when he taught the idol worshipers in Athens. They were religiously inclined. They were absolutely in error. They needed to be taught the truth, but but he used that opportunity. We can do that too. There are people who are inclined religiously. They may not know that what they're doing is wrong, and we can reach them. Right. So we talked about our, our family, our friends, our neighbors, total strangers, those that we know around us that have some religious inclination. Also, we have example in the New Testament of Paul teaching those who to be considered his enemy. That's right. He, he, he didn't limit it just to people that he thought might be favorable to him. Even when they were his enemies, he used those opportunities to, to teach them the truth. You know, it's kind of interesting that in Philippians chapter 4, verse 22, Paul was writing that as a prisoner in Rome. 
And he mentioned having converted some, even while he was a prisoner in Rome, even converted some of Caesar's own household, he said in Philippians chapter 4 and verse 22. So there's just no limit to who our prospects are. We got to get out there. We got to be teaching. We got to do this important work. We got to stop making excuses and really get busy reaching out to the lost people of the world. It's our job. And again, if we realize that they're lost and without us doing this work, they're likely going to stay lost then we need to really be busy in proclaiming the message of God. We hope that what we've had to say tonight has been uh, uh, an encouragement to us all. Uh, I speak personally. I need that encouragement as well as anybody else. Let's get out there. Let's do our work. Joel, thanks for joining us on the virtual Bible study tonight. Thanks for letting me come on. And we will, Lord willing, be back again next Thursday night. As we said, we hope you'll make this a regular Thursday night appointment to join us on the virtual Bible study. Mark your calendar. Put an alarm on your cell phone. Do whatever you can to be reminded to join us next Thursday night, same place, same time on the Internet for the virtual Bible study. Until that time, read and study your Bible, live by it every day. You'll never regret it. Thanks for listening to the virtual Bible study brought to you by the College View Church of Christ. The College View Church of Christ meets at 1618 Hampshire Pike in Columbia, Tennessee. If you are in the Columbia, Tennessee area, we encourage you to worship with the College View Church of Christ on Sunday mornings at 930 and on Sunday evenings at 6 o'clock. The College View Church of Christ also welcomes you to attend their Wednesday night Bible studies at 7 o'clock. If you have any questions about something that was said on tonight's broadcast or would like more information about the College View Church of Christ, please call 931-381-4567. That number again, 931-381-4567. Or for more information on the internet, visit collegeview.com. Be sure to tune into the virtual Bible study this time next Thursday for another informative study of God's Word.